Thank you, Daniel. <clears throat> Excuse me. My name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. And again, Emily, uh, congratulations. It is a great joy to have done that baptism those years ago and then to see you stand here now. Um, it puts a big smile on my face. So welcome and uh, just thank you and to the family as well. Congratulations. So a couple of weeks ago, we started uh, a, a sermon series we've already mentioned it in a, in a whole campaign of Maximum Impact where we said we want to make the biggest difference we can for Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ changes the world, that Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world, and, and we want to make a difference for him. We want to make an impact for him and, and to do that to the best of our abilities. And, and so we've been talking about that and how we do that. We've used uh, one image uh, for the last several weeks. We'll do it this week and next week as well, and that is the image of being living stones. Well, we don't usually think about stones as being living, but we are living stones, the Bible says. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2. He starts by saying, Jesus Christ is the living stone. He is the main event. Jesus Christ is the one who died on the cross to save us. Jesus is the one who, who gives us new life. That is our hope. That is our life. That is the center of everything. And, and God has placed him as the living stone, the highest value on him. So he said, Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the main event. He is the one who sets everything else up. He is the one who aligns everything. He is what we have to offer to the world. Not good advice, but we have the gospel. Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again. We are, Jesus Christ is the living stone. And then Peter goes on in verse 5 to say, but, but we are also like living stones. It's not just that Jesus was a living stone. We become living stones when we come to Jesus Christ. And so we are uh, living stones and we are brought into Christ. We are growing in him and, and we become a building. We become a place where God lives by his spirit. We become, well, as, as Peter says, we become a, a house of worship. And, and as Paul says in Ephesians, we become a house where God lives by his spirit. All right, and so that's an amazing thing for us to think about, an amazing thing, that in me, wherever I go, I bring the presence of Christ. But in us together as a community, and not the building, but us as living stones, in us together as a community, God lives by his spirit, and he brings his kingdom through us. We are living stones. We are part of that building. We are part of that place where God lives by the power of his spirit. So we've been asking ourselves, well, what does it mean to be living stones? What, what does it mean to be a living stone? What, what does that look like? And, and we said that back in, in the day, stone cutters, stone masons needed to know four things. And that we, if we're going to make a maximum impact for Jesus Christ, need to know these same four things. He talked about the, the stone cutter needed to know what was being built. They needed to know what a particular stone was like. Again, we said they don't use bricks, they use stones. Stones are unique. Stones are individual. And so each stone had its own gifts. Each stone had its own strengths. They needed to know where this particular stone was going to go. Is it a foundation stone or is it up near the top? Is it for decoration or is it for strength? And so they needed to know that. Where was this stone going to go? And then, well, how did the builder like to build? What were the specific requirements of that builder? So, again, if we're living stones, we need to know those four things. In the first week, we said, what is God building? God is making all things new. God is rebuilding everything, every animal, every planet, every plant, everything, every... God is making all things new. He is restoring all things new. 
And I'm glad you included that in your statement of faith. That's what God is doing. He's making all things new. Then last week we looked at what are we like? How has God gifted us as individuals but as a church? What are the strengths? What are the, what are the abilities that God has given us? What makes Hillside Hillside? What, what can God call us to do that maybe other churches can't? There are other things other churches can do that we can't. So, okay, it's, but what has God called us? What are we like? What, what is the gift that God has given to us? And this week we ask an important question, the third question, well, where has God placed us? Where, where are we? What's going on in the world around us? And so that's the question we're going to ask today and, and reflect on as we think about making a maximum impact. Part of what we've got to do is, is understand what's going on in the community around us. And, and let me just start by saying where we are matters. Where we are matters. And I think it's important to say that because it's kind of tempting to say that, well, the truth doesn't change. And I've heard Christians say this, and I agree. The truth doesn't change. The, the, the gospel doesn't change. Jesus Christ doesn't change. The Bible doesn't change. We just have to say what we know and then let it be. And, and on the one hand, yes, the gospel doesn't change. The truth doesn't change. Jesus Christ doesn't change. But the context in which we serve and work does change. And that matters a great deal. And we've got to keep asking ourselves, what's going on today? How do people hear the gospel today? How do we apply it to this situation? And, and, and this is the way that, that Paul certainly worked. Let me give you some examples of that, all right? First of all, just one from Acts 17. Uh, he's in Athens, all right? In Greece, in Athens. And, and this is how Paul went into Athens. This is what he did. He was talking with some folks, and, and he piqued their interest. Chapter 17, verse 19 says, Then they took him, Paul, and they brought him to a meeting of the Oropagus where they said to him, is this a bunch of people getting together, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. And, and, then, and then we get this parenthetical but powerful comment. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. They were philosophers, right? They did, Look, you kind of get the impression it would have been nice if they worked, but they don't work. They don't do anything, but they sit around. So that's what it was like in Athens. What they did is they talked about ideas. That's, and so what does Paul do when he gets there? He talks about ideas. He kind of comes into their arena and he says, ah, this is the way you work. Let me tell you something. And, he, and, he, and he, he shares some ideas that are new to them. Paul then stood in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way. You are very religious. Again, he starts where they are. You have some sense that there's religion that matters. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. He starts again, something that was important to them. And he says, so you are ignorant. You don't know about the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Again, Paul started where they were. Paul started with their situation. Paul started with their questions. Doesn't end there, but he starts there. He connects with them. He's, he's asking what's going on with them. In his, uh, the, the, 1 Corinthians 9, he, he gives out his principle. 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 19. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul says, I am a free man. I get to do what I want. And I'm free in Christ. I get to do what I want in Christ. But I have made myself a slave 
so that people can hear the gospel through me. I have made myself a slave to everyone. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. That We know it from other places that, interesting, I, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but the, the fact is when Paul, even, even though he had talked about how we are saved by grace alone, and he believed that with all his heart, when he went back to Jerusalem, he'd go kosher. <laughs> when he was talking to Jewish people, he would not touch bacon. He, he, because he, he wanted to, to reach them, right? He would, he would do that. He would do the washings. He would do the sacrifices at times. He would do, I mean, he would do some of those things. Why? Because, because he wanted to save people. He says, I myself am not under the law, but I want to I win those under the law. And, and so Paul, when, when he was with kosher people, ate kosher. And he says, when I'm with those who are not having the law... <laughs> I become like one not having the law. When Paul was with pagans, he sort of became a pagan. Now, he didn't go crazy, okay? He didn't step over the line and do things all wrong. But, but when he was with those who were eating bacon, he ate bacon. I, I got to believe that if Paul was with a group and, and, and they were, you know, having a beer, he might well have had a beer. Not got drunk, but he just, right, he would have done that. I, I become like one not having the law. He said, now again, recognize, I, I, I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. I, I am called to love God, love my neighbor as myself. I'm called to love God and love neighbor. I mean, in, in a, and I'm called to honor God. But when I am in a certain situation, I am going to connect with those people. And, and, and I'm going to do anything I can to make that connection so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. And then these words, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I have become all things to all people, that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. And, and that is, friends, that is Paul's heart, and that is the challenge for us. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. Paul's passion was to do whatever it took to connect. Paul's passion was to, to go as far as he could, as far as he could to make sure that people heard the gospel. Paul started where people were. That was just his basic principle. And that's why I say where we are matters. Where we are matters, friends. The gospel doesn't change. We are still calling people to repent and to turn to Jesus Christ. That is the answer. That is the hope of the world. But friends, let me unpack this a little bit. Three things. We must be adaptable. We are called to do what we can to connect with people around us. We are called to recognize that the world is a much different place than it was 50 years ago. The world's a different place than it was when Emily was baptized. The world's a different place than it was 10 years ago. Fact of the matter is, in six and a half weeks, we're going to celebrate New Year's. And when you turn the calendar over, it's going to say 2020. You might wish it was going to say 1999. <laughs> you might wish it was going to say 1956. You might say, boy, but that was a better year. But man, this church was great then. This, the whole church was better. The whole country was better. It's not, friends, 2020 is going to happen. And we're called not to minister in 1956. We're called to minister in 2020. It doesn't do us any good to broadcast on AM if everybody's listening to the FM, which is an old reference. 
Because <laughs> you're all listening that's serious, right? I mean, right, it's just all these things. They change so much, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a, in a minute. We must be adaptable, but second, and, and this is absolutely essential, we must never lose our core. We can't lose Jesus. Paul was adaptable. I mean, the same guy who said, and in the same letter, 1 Corinthians, this is chapter 1. But in chapter 9, Paul said, I have become all things to all people. All things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. He says, look it, but you got to know something. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. I started where they were, but I know there's only one way through, and that is Jesus Christ. I know there is only one hope, Jesus Christ. I'm going to go there. And, and even though they say, no, if you give us a sign, then we'll believe. No, that, it's, it's not the sign. It's Jesus Christ. Answer all of our questions, the Greek said. No, it's not answering all your questions. It's Jesus Christ. And, and Paul recognizes that he is a, a stumbling block to Jews and, and a foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. At the end of the day, Paul's message was you need to repent and surrender to Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just good advice. It's not just saying, hey, here's a better way to live. The gospel is saying, Jesus Christ is life. Will you repent and surrender your life to him? Will you say, yes, Lord, as Emily did this morning, say, Yes, I accept that promise. I receive that gift. I repent. Paul says, may I never boast. Galatians 6.14, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We must never lose our core. There is no other answer than Jesus Christ. There is no other hope than Jesus Christ. Now, one more thing, and Paul doesn't say it directly, but it's, it's I, I think, just worth noting that, that Paul says all things to all people, but he couldn't be all things to all people at the same time. He <laughs> was not schizophrenic. And, 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 and so that's why we have to think about, again, who are we? What gifts do we have? I think Paul was unbelievably adaptable. Most of us are not. And this is, again, where I, I, I say I'm thankful for other churches. We're not in competition, folks. They have other gifts. They have other abilities. And they can be what those people need at different times. And so we don't have to, and again, in some ways it would be so nice. It would be so nice if we could play one song here and all of you would hear and sing your own favorite song. But so far we haven't figured out how to do that. We can't do it all at the same time. And so we have to, we do have to recognize who we are and what gifts we have and so on. So where we are matters. It is so important for us to understand that we are called and, and our prayers are not just we got to go back and do what we did before, but God, how are we faithful today? What does it mean for me to love my neighbor today? How does my neighbor here love today? Again, things have changed. We've talked about it some with, with uh, counsel in various groups, but, but you know, it used to be in a church that uh, you know, if you visited and, and you gave them your address, it was a nice thing in the, if the church came over and brought you cookies. Right? If on Monday morning somebody said, I'm from the church, I'm from Hillside, here are cookies. If we did that now, most people would think we were creepy. 20 years ago it was an act of love, now it's creeping. Friends, and we've got to do today. I, I, now again, we don't mean we bless everything today. There are places where we clearly stand up against what the culture is doing and saying, all right? We don't lose our core. But we have to start and recognize where people are. 
So that's what I want to take just a few minutes here now to think about, more specifically for us, to try to answer that a bit of where are we? Where are we? What's going on in the world around us? I want to start with three broad trends. Okay, and again, you can pick other ones. You can challenge me on these. These are just, but I think it's important for us to to recognize how much of an impact these things have on the church. And and as we think about making a maximum impact, and as we think about building, all these things have been what we've been thinking about and trying to figure out. But first thing, we live in an age where the church is in decline in many places and in in this area, this country, Canada, in, in the Western world, basically, right? The numbers are going down. And, and when you go to younger generations, they're going down more quickly. Attendance is down. People who say they believe in Jesus Christ is down. We live, that's part of our culture. And, and on the one hand, that's, that's a challenge, right? It's, it's a challenge for us to deal with that, to, to know that we're becoming a minority, to know that, you know, we're, 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 we're finding ourselves in a culture that a lot of people are just saying, I don't care what you have. It, it doesn't mean anything to me. But on the other hand, and I genuinely believe this, maybe too much, but this is also an opportunity. This is an opportunity. In so many ways, there were a lot of people who've who've been saying, and and I don't think they're saying it anymore, saying, well, if I'm a a citizen of the United States, if I'm an American, then I'm, I'm a Christian. Because that's just kind of what we all are. And it's never been true. And and in some ways, I'm excited to be able to say, no, this is what a Christian really is. This is what a Christian really believes. This is what it means for us to follow Jesus Christ. This is what it means for us to repent. This is what it means for us to give ourselves away. We have the opportunity to, to redefine in a much more biblical way what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because people aren't going to be hanging out here just because there's communal pressure. People aren't going to be coming to church just because everybody's making them for the most part, and again, this is the tough part, they don't care. But it gives us an opportunity. An opportunity to recapture the heart of the gospel. An opportunity to say, God, what does it mean for us now to love in a radical way, so radical that people see what Jesus Christ is all about? So we live in an age where the church is in decline in many places. Next one is probably the one that is um, the most significant for me in my role in, in but we live in a digital online age. Friends, the internet has changed the game. It is so completely different. The number of places that talk about this, uh, the Marist mindset list is a list that's put together for uh, college professors saying when students come in, you need to understand some things about them. So some of these come from that. But just think about this. If you are under 21, you have probably never licked a postage stamp. Did you ever lift, lick a postage You did. All right. Way to go, Mom. Some of you don't even know what a postage stamp is. It's just you put it on an envelope, and you, you used to come with glue, and you had to lick them. And, and, and if you never had that experience, you're not missing anything because the glue tasted horrible. <laughs> but, but you think about that. People who've never licked a, a, a postage stamp. Email is now formal communication. It used to be a handwritten letter, and then a typed letter with a handwritten signature. But now if you want to be formal, it's email. Unless I tell my kids I send them an email, they don't read email. Unless they know something, because it's too long. It's text, it's tweets, it's snaps, it's other things. Think of the change that that is. 
It's unbelievable. What does it mean for us as a church? Wow, <laughs> we need to think about that. We, it was last year, I think, was the first time this happened, but we spend more time on phones than watching TV. The average person in our country spends more time on their phone. Now, I don't know how it counts if they're watching TV on their phone. But these little devices, and it's off, so don't try to text me and mess me up, but these little devices have become three-plus hours every day of our lives. It's an amazing thing. The primary use of a phone these days is to listen to music, podcasts. Next, it's to send texts. Next, it's to take pictures. And then last, my kids have yet to discover that this is actually a device to talk to other people. Like, real voices. Again, that just doesn't happen. Kids get together and they're all in the same room texting each other, not talking to each other. And, 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 and we can say, oh, oh, that's not the way it was when I was a kid. That's not the... Friends, guess what? It's going to be 2020. And, it, 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 and as much as there are things that that the question is, how do we help then? What, do we, what does it mean? How does the gospel look? What does that look like? How do we share Jesus Christ? Because people need Jesus Christ today as much as they have ever needed him, which is 100%. The primary use of phones, most people, the greatest time spent is listening to music or podcasts. And, and then another one. We, we can, because of the online age we live in, we can do almost anything whenever we want. If you wake up at 2 o'clock tomorrow morning and want to go shopping, Amazon is a click away. You can buy whatever you want, right? You don't have to wait till the store opens because Amazon is always open. You can do that. Think about watching television shows. Again, it used to be Tuesday night at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, Thursday night at 8. And if you missed the new episode of Home Improvement or The Love Boat, Friday's at 9, right? If you missed the new episode, I thought it might be six months before they ran it again, and you better be there to watch it when they run it again or you're going to miss it again, and who knows when it's going to be on the next time. My kids don't watch TV live. They don't let the TV set their schedule. They set their own schedule and they stream what they want when they want it. But for all of you, we say you got two options, 9.30 or 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. But I don't know what that means, though. I, I, I don't want to give up. I, I, they're, they're still gathering together. So how do we do that? What does it mean? So again, we live in a digital online age. It's got challenges and opportunities. Going to real church isn't seen as a necessity. It's part of the reason church attendance is, is down. It's not just that fewer people are going to church, it's that people are going to church much less. Whereas, again, years ago it was four times a month, then it was three and a half times a month. It's under, for a committed church member, it's under two and a half times a month. So you should be here. No, it, it, it's... it's it, 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 and again, that's both a challenge and an opportunity. It's both of them. Christian resources are readily available. 75 years ago, you listened to your preacher, and that's all you did. But then came radio and television, and now with the Internet, you can listen to 75 different preachers every week. And why would you come and listen to Ron when Andy Stanley's available? Why would you come? I mean, there are so many resources and in so many ways, that is a blessing. That is so good. But in some ways, it is a curse. Because 
75 years ago, I wouldn't have had to worry about you getting heresy from online. But now some of you, oh my goodness, right? You would have never heard such things. But now, yeah. But again, some of it's good, okay? It's a challenge and it's an opportunity. The first visit, I don't know if you realize this, but I think, again, the numbers are, are, are there for this. The first visit a person makes to a church is often a virtual visit. By the time somebody comes here, there's a good chance they've already been watching us online or worshiping with us online. And, 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 and so that's, again, I think an opportunity. People can stay connected to church wherever they are. And, 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 and so there's a blessing there when you're on vacation or not able to come in. For those who are shut-ins and so on, this is church. And so for you, great, thank you. I mean, right, it's, it's an amazing thing to try to figure out what does church look like. Because we still need each other. We're still being built together to become a dwelling. Not by ourselves just a dwelling, but we're together we are a dwelling. So what does that look like? How does that, what kind of spaces do we build? What do we, and, and, and so all those things are what we've been praying about and looking to God for and so on. So just, but, but again, the, the passion is not so much I'm not worried about what we're building as much as just are we have hearts that say, I want to reach the people that are near me today. And, and then third of the broad trends, we live in an age where people are looking for more authenticity than a flashy presentation. And this is one that I just think is good. Um, performances, seeker services don't connect with people as well as they used to. In the 1980s, and for a while we did one, I think it was the right thing to do at the time. People were interested to come and say, tell me about this. And now people come and say, show me. I want to experience something. I want to, and, and, and many people want to experience something when they come to church, not just learn something. Run, touch my heart. I need to know that it's going to be okay. I need to know my life has fallen apart. I need to know that Jesus Christ is faithful. I need to know that he'll be there for me. So those are things that we need. Those are some of the broad trends. Again, we live in an age where people are looking for authenticity. Churches in decline, digital online, authenticity. Three more things real quick here, but in our area. I don't know if you realize this. Many of you have heard it, but Grand Rapids is apparently a cool city. Um, in the U.S. News and World Report, 125 best, best places to live in the United States. Grand Rapids is number 13. I mean, we beat Vegas. Um, which isn't that hard to do, but anyway. But no, I mean, it's, I think in of our size, I think that's like number one in our size. But Grand Rapids is, and so, and, 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 and so that's a, something to recognize that this is an attractive area. People have been moving to this area. People will continue to move in this area. Um, and, and that's a good thing. Um, specifically for us, we're between an area that is uh, declining and an area that is growing. If you look at population trends and, and census, um, if we go this way, numbers tend to be going down. People are getting older. If we go, not, not you, but I mean, if we go this way from the church, population is increasing. And, and, and they're younger. So we have, we have both of those groups. And Hillside is, I think, that's one where we've, I think, said we're, we're both communities. We're both of those. But, but George said it years and years ago, and, and we need to keep, God is continuing to bring a mission field to us. With Amazon, with Switch, God is continuing to bring a mission field to us. And, and he's inviting us to reach out to people who need Jesus Christ. And, and then third, 
we are in an area, and again, this is based on some statistics and some surveys, but where people are carefully seeking genuine community for them and their families. People, as disconnected as we get, people also have that deep sense that I do need a place to, to, where somebody knows my name. I need a place to be connected. So those kind of things as well. We could go on, and, and we don't need to do any more than that now, but, but what I want you to know is that, friends, God has placed us here. And, and what we want to do is to, to bring Jesus Christ to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our workplaces. And we need to know where we are. So on the one hand, where we are is unique. But on the other hand, friends, as much as we talk about that, wherever we are and whenever we are, Jesus is the only hope of the world. It's the only hope for me. It's the only hope for you. And that's why it matters for us to make a maximum impact for him. Let's pray together.